0: Okay, everybody. All right, calm down. I know you're excited. It's like a bunch of 10-year-olds at a birthday party. In fact, there are a bunch of 10-year-olds. And it's not quite a birthday party. It is great to have you uh, all here. Great to see everybody. I'm going to lead us in prayer. And then I'm going to uh, say a few words to introduce the third psalm. You might be getting the hang of this so far. We've had three of these and we're on Psalm 3. I don't know whether we're going to do all 150 psalms, but we'll see. But um, let me lead us in prayer. Then I want to read the psalm and I want to say a few words about it. And then this, this grey box at the top of the handout in front of you, what I want to do is to show you why this is such a relevant cluster of questions to ask yourself in connection with this psalm and how it is that the psalm helps us to address these appropriately. So let me begin with prayer, and then we'll jump in and see where we get to. Let's pray together, shall we? Merciful and gracious God and Father, we thank you for this, your word, the Bible. We thank you for one another. Thank you for so knitting us together in Christ by your spirit that uh, we indwell one another relationally just as you indwell us, and we are made one with you. Please would you knit us more closely together now and help us particularly as we Consider the aspects of our lives and our experience, which might make us cry out words similar to the words that David cries out here. Help us to respond to those troubled and frustrating feelings in a a biblical and faithful way, as your word, and particularly this psalm, teaches us to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Psalm 3, you might like to follow it in the version at the bottom of the page that I've given you. It's more or less like the English Standard Version, which here is a very good translation. There are a few tweaks which I've made just to bring out a few details. A Psalm of David, when he fled from before Absalom, his son. Lord, how my foes have become many. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul... There is no salvation for him in God. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. My voice to the Lord I called, and he answered me from the hill of his holiness. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. I will not fear tens of thousands of people who all around have established themselves against me. Arise, Lord. Save me, my God, for you strike all my enemies on the jaw. The teeth of the wicked you break. To the Lord belongs salvation. Upon your people be your blessing. So Psalm 3 has an intriguing place in the book of Psalms. You will remember from the last couple of sessions that I suggested, and this is very common currency, among writers on the psalms that the first two psalms are a kind of introduction to the whole book of psalms so the first psalm beginning with the word blessed blessed is the man who teaches us that we should turn away from wickedness and evil and uh, the wicked people and walk in the ways of the lord and meditate on the law of god and psalm 2 in effect says well if we do that what we'll be doing is turning away from the foolish, wicked nations of the world who gather themselves together against God and will be led to submit to the Son, to kiss the Son, to bow before the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it ends then, blessed are all who take refuge in him. So blessed is the one who meditates on the law of the Lord because he will be led to have reverence for God the Son and be blessed in him. So Psalms 1 and 2 are a nice little introduction. Which means that Psalm 3 is like the opening words of chapter 1 of the book, if you think about it. You, you have an introduction to a book, and then you've got page 1, in the introduction, it was a bright cold day in April and the clocks were striking 13, remember that's the introduction, first, first words of chapter 1 of which book? It's George Orwell's 1984 my goodness, you didn't go to the same school that I did. They kept making, making us read that. And so the opening words of the book, it's like a second chance to hit you hard for the first time. You've been hit hard for the first time in the first two Psalms with the promise of blessing through the word of God in the Son of God. Now what's the next thing? Lord, how my foes have become many. And so significant is this theme that some scholars have even gone as far as to saying that this really belongs in the introduction to the Psalms. It's like this is so significant for the shape of the book of Psalms as a whole that really Psalm 3 says as much about the whole book as Psalms 1 and 2 do. And if you think about it, of course... It does. The book of Psalms, like the whole of the Old Testament, but preeminently, above all of the Old Testament, speak about Jesus, the Messiah, the king. He's the Word, Psalm 1. He's the Son to whom we must bow, Psalm 2. He's the one, Psalms 1 and 2, in whom we find blessing as we hear his word and bow before him and submit to him. And he's the one who throughout the whole of the journey to his enthronement as king, could say, Lord, how my foes have become many. The life of Jesus is a life of suffering as he journeys towards enthronement. And the book of Psalms kicks off the, the first page of chapter 1, so to speak with the king, King David, the forefather of Jesus, asking, how my foes have become many. And it highlights something that's very significant about the Psalms, that they both testify about specific situations, they're written to specific situations, but they're also designed to be generalizable. Now here, you can see the specific, very... Easily, I mean, the superscription, which is in small caps at the, at the beginning of that translation. It's also in small caps in your Bibles, probably. A psalm of David when he fled from before Absalom, his son. That is part of the scriptures. It's part of the inspired word of God. Unlike the other kind of chapter headings, which are just added by the editors to help us find our way around. This is inspired scripture. And it tells us that this psalm originally related to a situation in second samuel sorry chapters 15 and 16 and following when david fled from before absalom his son you remember absalom his rebellious son had been um, seeking to seize power from david Uh, second samuel 15 absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him and he used to rise early in the morning and stand beside the way of the gate and when any man had a dispute Uh, to come before the king for judgment Absalom would sort of grab him on the way and say from what city are you and he'd say your servant is of such and such a tribe in Israel and Absalom would say to him well your claims are good and right but there's no man designated by the king to hear your case and Absalom would say oh if I were the judge in the land if only the king would have put me in charge everything would be fine then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. Whenever a man would come near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So you see what's happening. The people of Israel are coming to the king, to King David, to decide their disputes, and Absalom's sort of intercepting them on the way. And so this little section, verse 6, so Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel And the tension becomes so great and Absalom's conspiracy becomes so threatening that eventually the king has to flee. Verse 13, a messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. And so David flees. And he does so with terrible, torn apart, if I say mixed emotions, I mean they're mixed, all the bad emotions really. Um, Fear, bewilderment, what's happened to his son, what's going to happen in the future, and it's in that context, as he's—it's really heartrending. If you read this chapter, uh, David, verse thirty, went up to the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot, and with his head covered. It's interesting, isn't it? Does it remind you of anybody who went up to the Mount of Olives at a time of great sorrow and anguish? And this psalm reflects David's. Feelings at that moment. So it's very specific in that sense. But it's also very general, as I said. There are hints in the psalm itself, and certainly within the context of the Bible as a whole, there are hints that we're supposed to take this psalm and somehow allow it to speak to our situation. I've never had to flee to the wilderness of Judea from a son called Absalom. I've never walked barefoot on the Mount of Olives, weeping as I went. But there are some indications here that this psalm is not just about that situation. I mean, the first thing is, just look at the psalm. There are some statements here which look very general in their character. We'll come to in a couple of minutes' time. But, you, O Lord, verse 3, are a shield around me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. The things that David turns to for comfort are abiding truths about God that, would have served him well in many other situations that he was in. Look again, um, the prayer in verses 7 and 8, again, doesn't really mention the specifics of David's situation. It's the kind of thing you could pray in any situation of being oppressed. And certainly, verse 8, to the Lord belongs salvation. Upon your people be your blessing. I mean, that's taken on the lips of Jonah in Jonah chapter 2. You find it echoed in Revelation a couple of times. Jeremiah says things like that. It's as though this psalm is generalized in that kind of way. But the most obvious clue that this psalm is supposed to speak to many different situations is that it's a psalm. Now, forgive me for pointing out the obvious, but the psalms are the hymn book of the people of God. They were always intended not just to be a description of how people felt in particular situations, but to be taken on the lips of anybody who would walk in the footsteps of the greater King David. Anybody who's a faithful citizen of David's kingdom, an old covenant Israelite. Or anybody who's a faithful disciple of The new David, Jesus, ought to be able to find ways of taking these on their own lips. We ought to be able to find ways of saying, Lord, how my foes have become many. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. So what I want to do is, if I may, I want to take a few minutes to try and articulate to you how all the things that you're worried about, all the things that you're anxious about, all the things that frustrate you or have angered you, all the things that cause you shame and guilt and sadness, in one sense they all belong in the bucket of foes that have become many that are addressed in this psalm. And before I do that, I need to know what they are. Or, no, I don't need to know what they are. But you need to know what they are. And so that grey box at the top of your handout, I'd like you to look down at it if you would. And I'm going to give you five or six minutes to, quote, please write down or make a mental note of anything and everything... That causes you any kind of frustration, anxiety, disappointment, anger, bitterness, fear, worry about the future, guilt, shame, sadness, worry, anything else. And I include in that particular examples of your own sins, foolish decisions that you've made in the past, other people's sins or foolish decisions, situations beyond your control that could affect you negatively negatively illnesses, stresses at home or at work, your own inadequacies, strained relationships, or anything else, here's the key thing, anything else that is wrong, quote-unquote, with the world around you. I'm not going to ask you to tell me what they are. But it's important that they're fresh in your mind before we proceed. So take five or six minutes. If you've got a pen, you might like to write things down. If not, don't worry, just think through them. And then we'll come back and I want to show you how this psalm teaches us to reframe and address them. All right. Well, you may not have finished making whatever mental or physical list you were compiling, but I take it that you'll be some way towards it. Uh, For some of you... That was quite difficult because actually life is reasonably good or at least not too complicated. Uh, for others of you, it was uh, a little tricky because there were a bunch of little things and, and you, were, you were forced to try and put your finger on the actual causes of the frustrations and sadnesses and worries that you have. For others of you, it was very straightforward Uh, If a little painful, uh, some of you, your mind was immediately drawn to one big thing. It might have been uh, a particular person who has for years been making your life miserable. It might have been a physical illness or somebody else's physical illness Uh, It might have been the fruit of really foolish decisions that you've made in the past. Maybe one big decision or lots and lots of small decisions. And now you're, well, you sowed the wind and you're reaping the whirlwind. It might have been really a, a time where you felt it was bordering on confession because actually what you're doing is identifying just sins you've committed consistent failings in your life. It may be that you're more sinned against than sinning, although mostly we're both. It might be what theologians sometimes call natural evil, just stuff that's wrong with the world. Uh, Pain, illness, aching joints, old age, infirmity. Um, It may have been just some combination of all those things. And I want to state very simply that though all those things are many and varied, they all belong in one category. They're all the result of sin, one way or another, maybe yours, maybe somebody else's. In a sense, they all come from the fall, which is always, I think, a strange name to give to the catastrophe of Genesis chapter 3. The rebellion would be a better word for it, which was prompted by this interplay, wasn't it, between human folly, culpable, sinful folly, and demonic temptation. All of the things that you were thinking of that you're troubled by, that frustrate you, that cause you anxiety or disappointment or anger or bitterness or fear for the future or worry or guilt or shame or anything else. In a sense, it's sin one way or another. And this psalm speaks words which are designed to be taken as a prayer for us to pray if we have the courage to pray it. It's a prayer that the living God would smash all those sources of evil and wickedness. Insofar as they're us, or in us, this prayer exposes us to the very real danger that the Lord might answer it, In so far as it's somebody else, because we're not always just sinners, we're sometimes victims. It's a prayer that the Lord would do that to somebody else. In so far as it's the devil, it's a prayer that the Lord would smash him. And you find the climax of it in verses 7 and 8. And what I want to briefly, just in the next five, six minutes or so, what I want to do is to help you to reframe your way of thinking about all of the fruits of sin, fruits is the wrong word, all of the corruption that flows from sin, all the ruin that results from sin, sin to reframe it as the foes that David speaks of. He speaks of many foes. And it's not just Absalom and his buddies. This is a psalm for the people of Israel. In ages past, this psalm would have been sung by people like you. Who woke up every morning depressed and fearful. And you don't know why. Except that this isn't how the world is supposed to be. And this isn't the paradise that God created. This prayer has been prayed by people who have been wrestling with inner dragons and you're secretly fearful that one day all of the people here might find out what it is that you spend half your life doing or half your life thinking about those indwelling sins as as which Paul the Apostle speaks this psalm has been prayed by people who have been assailed by people who just maliciously hate them and it is for all those different situations. We know that it's for speaking of the devil, because the devil is the one who says, verse 2, look, look what these many people say. I'll read verses 1 and 2. Lord, how my foes have become many. And look how the word many is repeated. Many arising against me. Many are saying of my soul, There is no salvation for him in God. And it's funny, the devil doesn't speak that often in the Bible, does he? But when he does, he's trying to deprive people of the gift of the Lord's salvation, isn't he? You know, Job chapter 1 and 2. You know, uh, take away all that he has or strike the man himself and then he will curse you to your face. Or think of Zechariah chapter 3, when um, Joshua the high priest is standing there in... Uh, in the prophet's vision he's standing in white robes but they're robes that have been that are filthy because they're they're stained with the corruption that represents the sin of the high priest and he's standing before the lord and satan is right there ready to accuse him because what what the devil would love to do is to say to each and every one of us there's no salvation there's no deliverance there's no way out from this for you gotcha you see Now the narrative of King David stands as just one among many glorious historical testimonies that the Lord can get his people out of those James Bond situations. You know, how's he going to get out of this one? Oh, there there he goes again. But this psalm speaks about the same thing. It's interesting, I've laid it out for you in in, in a way that reflects the structure of the psalm. And you'll see, if you look at verses 1 and 2, I've highlighted them in red and blue, and then verses 7 and 8 in red and blue, they kind of correspond. It's sort of like A, B, red, blue, verses 1 and 2. A, B, red, blue, verses 7 and 8. It's called a panel structure. It's like the opposite of a chiasm. Not everything is a chiasm, amazingly, which is disturbing to me, but anyway. Um, and, And just notice how the psalm encourages us to trust God and to pray. Lord, how my foes have become many, many arising against me. The verb there is kum, as in talita kum. Little girl, arise. But here it's not the little girl who's rising up. It's these foes, these many multiplying foes who are rising kum against me. And they're saying there's no yeshuatah. No salvation. It's the word from which the name Joshua in Hebrew comes. And Joshua is a Hebrew form of the name Jesus. There's no Jesus for them. And it's mirrored just wonderfully in verses 7 and 8. Who's the one who arises in verse 7? All the foes arise in verse 1. And so the psalmist prays verse 7. Rise, Lord. It's a prayer of faith which teaches us to trust that the Lord can overcome the foes. This has to this lies in the background of everything we do here you know all all the things that many of you have taken to pastor neil over the years and some of you have brought to pastor shaw and me in more recent years in the background has to be like however many the foes are if we call upon the lord to rise he's bigger i promise i would quit this ministry if i didn't think that were true If I thought your situation were hopeless, I'd go and do something else. Like, why go against Nelson's column with a fly swatter, if that's really what it is that we're doing? But it's not. We're going against the many evils of the world, in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, the creator of the heavens and the earth. So we say to God, rise up, God. Rise up, Lord covenant God of Israel, the one whose very name proclaims his own faithfulness to his people and the very next word then save me my God I wonder if that's echoed slightly in what Jesus says on the cross, my God my God, why have you forsaken me my God save me so Jesus is forsaken in anguish that's far worse than ours Seriously, whatever it was on your list, when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was going through more than that. Just ponder that for a second. And so the psalm answers the many foes who are rising up saying there's no salvation by just saying, rise, Lord, save me, my God. And then it re-emphasizes it, doesn't it, in verse 8. To the Lord belongs Yeshua. It's like it says it twice. That Joshua's salvation belongs to the Lord. That's the bit that's quoted um, by Jonah, of course. And it's fascinating, because Jonah is not, not doing great at the end of chapter 2. Pastor Shaw preached than this, does, you know. And however you read Jonah's attitude during his recitation of all those bits of the Psalms in... Jonah 1 and 2 his attitude in Jonah 1 wasn't exactly great was it and yet he cries salvation belongs to the Lord and the Lord delivers him even him it's like Pastor Prorok's sermon last Sunday even David could have such a hope as to get up go and wash his face and eat breakfast and say well I won't go he won't come to me but I'll go to him David after what he'd done Because salvation belongs to the Lord. I don't care how big it is. I don't care how bad it is, how dark it is, how painful it is, how horrible they are. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So may your blessing be on your people. Moving towards the middle of the psalm, just briefly. You notice there's a kind of connection between verses 3 and 6. I I was pondering this. I'm quite sure that verses 4 and 5 belong together because they recount what the psalmist is doing. come to that in a second. But verses 3 to 6, it seems to flow together. If you just read verse 3, then skip to verse 6, it follows very logically. You, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. I will not fear tens of thousands of people who all around have established themselves against me. Because your shield around me the, um, the image of the one who lifts my head is a fascinating image in the Bible because there are two ways of having your head lifted you could lift up your head in pride to lift the head is a kind of arrogant gesture and that's used in scripture to denote somebody who's arrogantly setting themselves against the Lord who's this who's lifted his head against me in pride the Lord says, forget where but here, it's the Lord who lifts up the head. Well, why? Well, because your head is just bowed down. It's like the man who wouldn't even look up to heaven, but just said, "Have mercy on me." Literally, the sinner, not a sinner. Have mercy on me, the sinner. Wouldn't even raise his eyes. Remember the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Lord lifts up that head. I wonder if that's part of what we need. We need when we come to the Lord with the really dark problems. To, and we say, arise, Lord, save me. We need to be ready to rethink everything. Not come with lifted up head, thinking we've got three quarters of the answers, we just need you to put the cherry on the top, Lord. But truly to rethink everything. Genuinely to contemplate that for all that we might see about our own sins and failures, we've got digger to, deeper to dig before we finish with the repentance which takes us to the centre of this psalm. And it's a curious um, phrase in verse 4. And our, our psalm, our Bible translators quite wisely smooth out some clunky syntax. They say something like, I cried aloud to the Lord, which is fair enough, because it's roughly what the psalmist is doing. But it says literally, my voice to the Lord I called. I don't know why, but it just seems... It seems concerned to accentuate the voice. The voice with which we call to the Lord. And immediately he answered me from his holy hill. It's like as soon as I remembered, oh, I've got a voice. My voice, I could do something with that. Oh, oh yeah, what shall I do? I know, I'll call to the Lord. And he answered from his holy hill. Straight away. There is, isn't that an encouragement that sometimes we need? And of course, sometimes we need the encouragement because we call to the Lord and he doesn't answer straight away. I don't know. He didn't answer David straight away. This is a strange thing. How many times did David pray this prayer wandering around in the wilderness of Judea? He wrote quite a lot of Psalms during that time. And yet he's still able to say, to the Lord I called, and he answered. Maybe it's this, maybe it's, There's nothing lacking in the Lord's grace or power that would stop him answering. Maybe like with Jesus himself, he has his own reasons for delaying. There's nothing lacking in him. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. And again, it's it's a fascinating image of you lie down and you just wake up. And anybody ever wake themselves up? you descend into 8 hours of unconsciousness anybody ever been afraid of going to sleep because you worry whether you're going to wake up and see what happens every morning every morning you are given a little picture of the lord's sovereign grace every morning you awake because the lord sustains you you are not conscious of keeping your heart breathing heart beating you are not conscious of keeping your lungs working. You, were, you woke because the Lord sustained you. Every morning you awake. You get a little picture of the Lord's sovereign kindness to you. So how many are your foes? Well, probably quite a lot. Um, in the wee small hours of the morning when you wish you could be asleep, maybe you think of a few more. However many... If you have the courage to pray this prayer, knowing what it might mean for you, because often we're half the problem, arise, Lord, save me, my God, for you strike all my enemies on the jaw, the teeth of the wicked you break, to the Lord belongs, salvation upon your people be your blessing. Let's pray, shall we? Merciful Father, strike our enemies on the jaw, we pray. Break the teeth of the wicked, we pray. We pray for the sake of Jesus, that this psalm of whom it speaks, which speaks of him, that our lives would come to mirror and glorify his. And we pray for our own sake as well, Father. We are as helpless as little babes who lie down and sleep and awake only because you sustain us. Teach us to see, not just in that, but in all the circumstances of our lives, our radical and complete dependence upon you and to trust you to deliver us because it turns out that there is salvation for us in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Shaw.